Good morning, everybody. We very carefully crafted this worship to make sure that Michael got uh, all of his steps in today. So thank you, Michael, for getting up and down so many times and leading us in singing. And thank you for, uh, to all of our young men for leading us. Listen, I can remember doing that for the first time as a young guy and how absolutely terrified I was. So would you please make it a point to give them some encouragement after the worship? I know that means a lot to them and will help to help them understand just how meaningful it is uh, that they lead in worship that way. Thank you guys for what you did this morning. So we are in Galatians chapter 5. We're going to talk about the fruits of the Spirit this morning. In our kids' classes, they've been going through a series on the fruit of the Spirit. In our teen group, they've been going through a series on the fruit of the Spirit. Just so happens that this morning in our adult class, we spent time talking about the fruit of the Spirit. So apparently this is a passage God wants us to spend some time in. So that's what we're going to do together this morning. Just briefly think about some of the things that Paul talks about in this passage. So why don't we start by just reading through it together. And then we'll highlight some of the things that I think we need to pay attention to this morning. So we are in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. And this is what Paul writes. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of this flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So let's think about some of these things together this morning. Paul begins this passage by saying, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So he clues us in right away to these two terms that we need to think about this morning. Flesh on one hand, and Spirit on the other. And he goes on to say in verse 17, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. So these two forces are in opposition to each other. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The flesh working against the Spirit, so that what ends up happening too often, and I'm sure you can relate to this, is that there's this thing you want to do because you know it's pleasing to God, but what ends up happening? You don't do that thing. You end up doing the very opposite thing. And you kind of live with that guilt inside, knowing that I didn't end up doing the very thing I wanted to do. What is the reason for that conflict that all of us have so often in our spiritual lives where we end up doing the very thing we're ashamed to do. It's because of the fact that we live in the midst of this conflict, the conflict that exists between the spiritual realm and the physical realm that we live in every day. I want to make something very clear here. When Paul paints the flesh in the negative, so on the positive side we've got this spiritual realm 
that we exist in. God's Spirit is that part of God that He puts inside of us, that part of God that lives within us, that dwells within us, that part of God that's driving us forward into His image. But the flesh is what we live in, what we walk in, what we breathe in every day. When Paul uses flesh in a negative sense here, he is not suggesting that everything about the flesh is inherently bad. In fact, we know from Scripture that the opposite is true. Kids, do you guys remember in Genesis chapter 1 when God creates the earth in six days? You remember this? As he begins to make the things that are in the earth, at the end of every day, what does he say? He saw what he made and he said it is good, right? It was good. And then on the sixth day, as he surveys all of creation, everything he made, including humans, he reflects on that and he says, you remember, it is very good. God made these bodies for us to dwell in And they were very good when he made them. But what happened? That's Genesis 1. You get into Genesis 2 and you get into Genesis 3. And what happens in Genesis 3? We rebel against God and sin enters this physical world. And so when Paul talks about flesh and the negative, he's not talking about the fact that God made us inherently wicked. It's no, we've given in to evil and sin in our lives. And now we live in a world that is tainted by the effects of sin. That's what Paul is talking about when he talks about flesh. We live in this body in a world that most of what happens in this world is set in opposition to what God wanted to happen to begin with. And that's why this world suffers the way that it does, because sin has entered into this world. So think about it this way, just a generic illustration, and a lot of preachers have used this illustration over the years. I'm just going to borrow from it. You've got these two realms. On the one hand, you've got flesh. I wake up every morning in this body, right? And as you get older, it gets less fun to wake up every day, right? Uh, As Carl told me this morning, I got to open my eyes this morning, and that wasn't even promised to me yesterday, right? You wake up and things hurt that you didn't know that they could hurt, and you don't know why they hurt, but they hurt, right? This is what it's like to get old. It's a lot of fun, right? But you wake up in these physical bodies, and we go about our day And too often we spend all of our time fixated on that physical part of our existence. I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm cranky, I'm not getting along with people, I need, I want. You get the drift. That's the flesh part of our reality. We live and we walk in the flesh. But there's this other part of our reality. For those of us who belong to God, who are children of God, those of us whose God's Spirit dwells within us, we have this other reality, this reality of the Spirit, the spiritual reality that we exist in at the same time. And like Paul points out, those things are in opposition to each other. A lot of times they're at war with one another. But where we exist on a daily basis is right there in the middle, that part where those two spheres overlap. We live in the midst of that conflict, doing war every day, the war between the Spirit and the flesh. And sometimes that's a very overwhelming place to live is in the midst of that conflict. So is there hope for us? Or are we doomed to just be conflicted every day when we wake up? Well, this is the hope that Paul's talking about here. He says, if you are led by the Spirit, then you are not under law. That's why I had the boys read from Romans chapter 8, and I encourage you to spend some time in that chapter again this week as you think and reflect on all these things we're talking about this morning We talked about this a few weeks ago. Law does not bring life. Law brings us a recognition of sin. But it does not bring us life. It does not free us 
from that sin. It makes sin apparent, it makes sin obvious, but it doesn't free us from that sin. Only God can do that through His Spirit. And so if we live by the Spirit, we're no longer shackled by the burden of law. We live with a new kind of freedom, free from the sin that law entangles us in. And he goes on in verses 19 and 20, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Now I want you to see this, okay? So Paul's going to give us two lists in this passage. List, uh, the, list number one is the work of the flesh. So if a human decides that I'm going to pay no attention to the spiritual reality around me, I'm not going to pay any attention to what my Creator's will for my life is. I'm not going to listen to the voice of the Spirit at work within me. I'm only going to do what the flesh directs me to do. When a person decides to live that kind of life, and there's a lot of people that have made that decision, when you decide to live that kind of life, this is what it looks like. And so this is the first list, the works of the flesh. He says they're evident, and this, this is what they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, he goes on, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He says that's not, a, that's not an exhaustive, comprehensive list. He's just making a point. We all know what it looks like to live according to the flesh because that's what the world looks like. It looks like a, a group of humans who have decided to ignore the Spirit in their lives Ignore the voice of God and pursue only those things that flesh tells us to pursue. And the thing about all of these things in this list is they are absolutely destructive to human life. These things destroy us from within. But here's what I want you to understand, and especially for our kids. I know some of these words you may not understand. Hopefully some of them you really don't understand. One day you will. You'll see just how ugly these things are in human life. But I just want to make this a little easier to grab a hold of. So whether you understand what those words means or not, understand this. Okay, You can break that list of things down into three basic categories that Paul is addressing here. These works of the flesh have to do with one of these three things. Number one, what we do with our bodies. Landon read for us 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so it matters greatly what we decide to do with these physical bodies. You can decide that I will do whatever I want to do with this body. And your life will suffer if that's the decision that you make. But if instead you recognize that these bodies are a gift from our Creator, and that there are parameters that God has set for what we should and shouldn't do with these bodies, and that it matters very much what you do with these bodies, then your life will prosper because of that. So, kids, let me see your show of hands. How many of you love to eat really healthy food, like vegetables? Anybody? Okay, if I gave you a choice between, I don't know, raising canes and a plate full of broccoli, what would you pick? Broccoli? All right. <laughs> okay. All of us suffer from the same thing. There's stuff my body wants. All right, my body wants banana Laffy Taffies. Because they are the single greatest food ever created, right? But they're not the food God created. Some dude in a lab made banana Laffy Taffies and they taste so good. And so if it were up to me, I would wake up in the morning and I would put a pile of banana Laffy Taffies in a bowl, pour some milk on it and call it good, right? That's, that's, my, that's my meal for the day. But will my body suffer 
if I make that decision. Yes, I know that because I've made too many decisions like that in my life, okay? The point is, if you just give in to what your body wants, what the flesh wants, that doesn't lead to the kind of life that you really want. It's destructive. And so this first list of things, or the first category in that list of things that Paul is talking about has to do with what we do with our bodies. It matters greatly what we do with our bodies. God cares about what we do with our bodies. Number two has to do with who and what we worship. It matters greatly who we decide to worship. And everyone decides to worship either someone or something. Even those people in this world who deny the existence of God the Creator, there's something in their life that they are worshiping. And what you decide to worship, who you decide to worship matters greatly, and it has an impact on your life. And number three, how we get along with other people. Go back and look at this list and look at how many of them have to do with relationships, what Bruce has been talking about in our adult class right now. When we follow after the flesh instead of the Spirit, our relationships suffer. And does life suffer when your relationships suffer? Absolutely. Absolutely. So this is what that list of big words is all about. But there's another list in contrast to that. And as ugly and as gross and as destructive as that first list is, this second list is so good, the only way to do it is to sing it. How many of you remember this, this song about the fruits of the Spirit, right? It's so good you got to sing it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Anybody? Anybody with me? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. you got to sing it because it's so good, right? This is the other list, the fruits of the Spirit. Those things that are not destructive, but those things that build us up. These things that lead to a fruitful life. These things end up being a blessing for us. And again, we're not going to take time to go through this list, but it's the same categories as before. These have to do with what we do with our bodies, who and what we decide to worship, and the relationships that we have with other people. But here's what I want you to really see about this list. We'll go back to this illustration again. Flesh and spirit. Notice that as Paul introduces these lists, he uses two different words. The list of the things that happen in the flesh, he calls works of the flesh. Why does he use that word, works of the flesh? Because there are the things that we decide to do. This has everything to do with our action. We are fully responsible for works of the flesh. All those things that destroy us from within, we are responsible for those things. They're decisions we made. They're behaviors that we decided to engage in. God didn't direct us to do those things. The Spirit wasn't at work in us convincing us to do those things. We decided to do those things, and so they are works. But the list of the things that lead to fruit, those fruits that he talks about, they're not works, they are fruits of the Spirit. And again, I think he chooses that word on purpose because the idea of fruit makes us think about these things in a certain way. We cannot make fruit grow. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? You can't make fruit grow. Why? Because fruit, the growth of fruit depends on certain things that are out of your control. What, is, what does a fruit tree need to grow? It needs sunshine. Can you make the sunshine? No, it needs water. Can you make can you make it rain? No, it needs the right kind of climate. Can you impact the climate? Well, if you drive a Tesla, you're helping, right? But, but not enough to make a fruit tree grow, okay? There's certain things that are outside of our control. The idea of fruit 
is that there's a power at work outside of your control that is resulting in the growth of that fruit. We cannot make fruit grow, but here's what we can do. We can choose to either cultivate it and help it grow. So if you plant a fruit tree in your yard and you're going to help it grow, what kind of things can you do? You can keep it trimmed. You can make sure it's getting enough sunlight. You can water it. You can fertilize it, right? You can have a hand in helping that fruit tree to grow, or you can decide to neglect it entirely. And what happens if you neglect it? You end up hurting its growth. We learned that lesson the hard way. When we first moved to California, our backyard had a lemon tree and an orange tree, and they were beautiful. And the first year we were there, they had some fruit. The second and third year we were there, they had a ton of fruit. I mean, lemons like weighing down the tree. And so me, not knowing how to take care of fruit trees, thought, oh, I just, I'll leave them alone. I won't touch them at all and they'll be fine. Well, what ended up happening is they grew so much fruit that the limbs literally cracked and broke off of the lemon tree. And it wasn't very long until a couple years later, they had like nothing on the tree. Because apparently you do have to do something to help take care of them, right? But this is the idea behind the fruits of the Spirit. We can't make these fruits grow on our own. They are the result of the Spirit. But we can decide to either cultivate those fruits within our lives or neglect them and watch ourselves suffer as a result. This is why Paul writes things like this in other places. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We can actively engage in a kind of life that is at odds with the Spirit of God that dwells in us. While God's Spirit is at work in us, we can be at work against the Spirit. So we can harm the work of the Spirit within us. Or he says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 19, do not quench the Spirit. And so this list of fruits of the Spirit, they belong to the work of the Spirit. But he's asking us to partner in that, that we might cultivate the work of the Spirit in our own lives. We have to decide, are we going to live a life dictated by the flesh or a life led by the Spirit? One of those things is our own work. The other is the fruit that only the Spirit can provide. So when I was a kid, one of my grandmas on my dad's side lived in Florida. And a few times during Christmas break when we were kids, we would go down and spend some time with her. And I have to tell you, as a kid growing up in Wisconsin, the coolest thing in the world to do at Christmas time was go to Florida. Because it's freezing cold in Wisconsin at Christmas time. And snow can be fun and sledding can be fun, but you know what's more fun than freezing cold? Warmth, <laughs> sunshine, Florida. She was like 30 minutes from the Gulf Beach on one side and an hour from Disney World and the other. It was just like this magical place to go. She lived in this tiny little house, but I loved going there for so many reasons. We got to go to Disney. We got to go to the beach. Um, it was a long drive to get down there. I think we flew once, but my memories are of us driving. And this was long before giant SUVs ruled the world. And so there were three boys, right, Manion boys, you can think about this, crammed into the back seat of a car on like a 24-hour drive down to Florida, right? And uh, this was before uh, iPads and iPhones and all of that stuff to entertain us. I can remember we stopped at a truck stop one time. We got a physical, it was, it was um, car bingo, and you had to like put a thing on every make of car. And this is how old it was. Some of you guys remember, Yugo was one of the categories of car. 
And we went forever without finding a Yugo, right, before we could cry bingo. But that's what we did to entertain ourselves. I can remember us fighting in the back seat all the way down there because it's so crammed. We would fight over who got to lay on the floor of the back seat, right, because then you got freedom. Then you could really, really spread out. But it was worth the drive because you get down there, it's 80 degrees, you get to go to Disney, you get to go to the beach. Her house had these little... Um, green anoles, people call them chameleons sometimes, these little green lizards, which might not be a big thing to you. For me, it was the coolest thing in the world. We spent all day trying to catch these lizards. But one of my favorite things about her house was she had orange trees in her backyard. And for a kid in Wisconsin, having an orange tree in your backyard was like the coolest thing ever. And she would let us pick oranges and bring them inside, and she would squeeze them and make us fresh orange juice in the morning. I can still remember raisin bran and orange juice at Grandma's house. It was awesome. It was awesome. I loved those orange trees. But as much as I loved them, what I could never do is take one of those oranges, bring it home to me with, to Wisconsin, and plant it in my backyard. Because what would happen to an orange tree in Wisconsin? It's going to freeze. And the mortal enemy of citrus trees is freezing, right? You plant an orange tree in Wisconsin, and it just looks like this, right? You get orange slushies, right? I think, I think the guy who invented Jamba Juice must have lived in Wisconsin. Mix oranges and ice together. Right? But I couldn't do it. Why? Because the ground isn't fertile enough and is not the proper environment for an orange tree to grow in freezing cold Wisconsin. The reason I bring that up is because I think it provides a good illustration for us and the work of the Spirit at work in us. Our hearts are like that freezing tundra, that freezing ground in Wisconsin. We might try to produce these fruits of the Spirit within ourselves without any help from God, but what we're going to find is they're not going to grow. It's a dead end. They can't grow because my heart is not the right environment on my own for those fruits of the Spirit to flourish. But when I give my life over to my God and I make the decision to cultivate what God is doing in my life and I allow Him to be at work within me, He takes this heart of mine that otherwise wouldn't grow anything, that's only going to produce works of the flesh, those things that destroy me from within. And he's going to turn that heart of mine into something fertile. And he's going to grow something beautiful in that place. And the fruits of the Spirit are going to suddenly be a part of my life. And instead of suffering at my own hand, I can rejoice in what God is doing in me and through me. We find... This idea scattered throughout Scripture. This idea that God is at work turning us into something where His Spirit can grow and blossom and flourish. There's this story in Luke chapter 13, and I encourage you to turn over there with me if you would. A parable that Jesus tells about a fruit-bearing tree. So in Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 6, it says, He told this parable, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I found none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? Because what good is a fruit tree that doesn't bear any fruit? It's no good. So cut it down. And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear good fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Left to our own. There's no fruit growing on this tree. But when Christ gets a hold of us and his spirit lives within us, 
and we give them the opportunity to just pile a little manure on us, suddenly we become fertile, and that fruit can grow. And then there's this passage, and I'm so glad we talked about it in our adult class this morning. In John chapter 15, this whole illustration Jesus gives, he says in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. And he talks about this mutual indwelling. We decide to make our home with God, and God makes his home with us at the same time. And something beautiful happens in that mutual indwelling. He says, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself... Unless it abides in the vine. If you take an orange tree and you've got a branch and it's full of beautiful oranges and you cut off the branch, what happens eventually? It dies, right? It has to be connected to the rest of that tree for it to get the things it needs to stay alive. This is the point Jesus is making. Neither can you unless you abide in me. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, this mutual indwelling. I have decided to make my home with my Creator and my Savior, and He in turn has made His home with me. One of the passages we read was from John chapter 14 when Jesus is promising His disciples, I have to go, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans, because who am I going to send? The Spirit who's going to dwell in you. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 8, that other passage that we read. If we belong to Christ, then His Spirit lives within us. We make our home with God and he makes his home in us. This mutual indwelling. If you abide in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Listen to what he says. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Sometimes I think we read this passage in Galatians 5 completely backwards. We say, here's this list of fruits of the Spirit. Now go home and work on it. Here's your homework. Come back next week and show me these fruits at work in your life. As if this is this thing that we do on our own. And it just takes a little bit of hard work and determination. And we can bear the fruit of the Spirit. But that's not what it's saying at all. And that's certainly not what Jesus is saying here. It's not the fruit of Jason. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's what the Spirit produces within me. When I make the decision to dwell with him, when I have determined in my life that I will not be ruled by the flesh any longer, but I will submit to the work of God in my life through his spirit, then the fruits of the spirit come to bear in my life. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, he says in verse 24, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And it reminds me so much of what he says just a few chapters earlier in the same letter in Galatians 2 and verse 20, another one we sing. I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in this flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. I still live in the flesh every day, but everything about who I am has been changed because my life now belongs to whom? To Christ. And it's Christ that is now alive in me. That old body that I had has been crucified with him. You remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 6? That when we are baptized into Christ, what happens? We join him in his death, but also in his what? Resurrection. So that we can walk in, do you remember what he says? Newness of life. That body of sin has been done away with, and I am no longer a slave to sin. This is what God has given me. 
Why would we embrace that old life anymore? Let's embrace the new life that he's given us, one dominated by the work of the Spirit in our own lives. I've been crucified with Christ. It's he that lives in me now. And then he says this in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep step with the Spirit. The first thing he says in this whole passage is about walking by the Spirit. And the last thing he says is about keeping step with the Spirit. This idea of walking hand in hand with the Spirit of God as he's at work in our lives. Kids, you can relate to this, especially little ones. Paisley's there right now. Every time we get out of the car in a busy parking lot and we're walking into a store, I make her do what? Hold my hand, right? Now, she's good about it. One day it'll drive her nuts. But the reason I do it is because I can see danger that she can't. In her beautiful, simple way of looking at the world, she's thinking about feeding her crested gecko when she gets home, right? She's thinking about playing Nintendo. She's thinking about going swimming that night. She's not thinking about what that person in the big SUV is doing that they're not paying any attention. She's not thinking about the guy about to back out who can't see us in his peripheral vision. She's not thinking about those things. I am. And so it's important that she stays by my side because why? That's the safest place for her to be. Why is it so important that we keep in step with the Spirit? Because it's the safest place for us to be. God is preserving our life. He's not just preserving our lives. He's enriching our lives through the work of the Spirit that He gives us, through the fruit that He's bearing in our lives. And it's up to us to keep in step with Him. Don't let go of His hand in that parking lot of life. Keep in step with the Spirit. So, end in an unusual place, but I'll do my best to tie this in because I think it does relate. So if you're asking yourself, okay, this sounds good to me. I want to live a life dominated by the Spirit. I'm, I'm, I'm done with all of the damaging things that living for myself has brought me. I know what life in the flesh looks like. It's destructive. I feel its pain. I bear its scars. I'm done with that. I want something better. I want God's presence in my life. I want to be free from that body of sin. I want to bear fruit for the Spirit. What is, what is it that I need to do? What are my first steps into that kind of life? Well, it's the same kind of question a crowd once asked the apostles in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And the answer Peter gave is this. Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord God calls to himself. In baptism, two things happen. Number one, that body of sin is washed away. And we get to walk in newness. Of life. If you're looking for a new life this morning, it begins here in baptism. It's not the water that does it. It's the fact that you are joining your Savior in his death and in his resurrection. It's that beautiful blood of our Savior that washes that sin away. So that's the first thing that happens. But the second thing that happens is what? We receive a gift. Who is the gift? The gift is the Holy Spirit. The presence of God in our lives that we now become temples of God, every one of us, Him dwelling inside of us, bearing fruit if we allow Him to. So where does this journey begin? It begins in the waters of baptism. 
We've been so blessed here recently to watch several people put Christ on in baptism. And those blessings continue this morning as we've got another precious soul ready to begin her journey with Christ. So I want to introduce the congregation to uh, my new friend Solmaz. Solmaz, could you just wave your hand there? Um, she lives real close to the building here. Uh, she moved here just a few months ago, originally from Iran, spent some time in some other places, uh, has been pursuing Christ in her life, and has fallen in love with Jesus and the love that he provides and is ready to give her life over to him. And so after service is over, we're going to help her put Christ on in baptism. And so if you've got time, I invite you to stick around after service. You can celebrate her new life with her. But I want to offer the invitation to everyone. If you're ready for that new life, if you are ready to bear fruit for the Spirit, if you're ready to shed that body of sin and experience freedom that only comes through Christ, then we offer that invitation to you this morning. If you would, will you stand together? Let's sing this last song. If there's any way we can serve you, come forward and let us know. My life is in you, Lord, my strength is in you, Lord, my hope is in you, Lord. Oh, my God.